0: Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Over the course of this series, and I think it bears repeating again today, the topic today is one of a sensitive nature. Uh, it's it's one uh, the topic that we're going to address. The question we're going to answer is how do you care for people who don't want to live? And so just just so that you're aware, I, I just want you to be aware that this may be some triggering for some. This may be a difficult topic for some. This may bring up things. And so I, I really just want to put that warning out there, and, and just say, hey, if you know if I'm not ready to like press into that, it's okay. I just. I want you to be aware so that you're not caught off guard, okay, that's what I wanna say. What I wanna say also is if you're someone who is considering suicide, I just wanna start right there and I wanna encourage you to get help immediately, immediately, before we look at this, how do we care for people, I want you to know that we care and so you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline for free by just dialing 988 from anywhere but if you're somebody who ha- is considering that, I-, I genuinely want to say right now, just get help now. Definitely get help now. If you're watching this from home and that's, that's where you are, get help now. Whew, this is going to be heavy, okay? We've, we've ch- tackled some heavy topics in this series and I feel like as I've considered this one it's, it's just one more heavy one. How many of you are familiar? Show of hands with the term theodicy, like two of you, three of you, three of you know what the term theodicy means. What I can tell you is that most of you do it and you don't know it. I'm going to give you a definition of what theodicy is. Theodicy is is a a sort of vindication or an attempt to uh, vindicate God and the goodness of God, even when the circumstances seem to be contrary. And so it's creating this sort of, it's similar to like apologetics, but like if you think about the problem of evil, why is there evil in the world if God is all powerful and all good? That's not a question we're dealing with today. But if you've ever been in a place where people are like, God can't be good, and I don't really know how you, know, you guys worship God, and you attempt to mount a defense of God by quoting this book to prove in the face of the argument against it that God is good, you are, you are participating in what would be called a theodicy. Those of you who know, fair representation? The reason I say that is because this message is going to feel different than some of the other ones. Because what I'm really, really, really present to is the fact that often we try to quote Scripture at people's pain. We can't handle the anxiety and the struggle of someone being in pain, and so the thing that we try to do to help is quote scripture at people's pain. And it's just not helpful. It's just not helpful. My tendency always is to prefer to take a passage of scripture and go from the top to the bottom, unpack it, and apply it. But I'm very aware that as we talk about how do we care for people who don't want to live anymore, that mounting a biblical, a Bible-based attack at suicide and mental illness may not be the most helpful thing we can do here today. And so what I'm going to do is sort of offer something of a pastoral approach, a biblically-based approach for us to care for people who don't want to live. Okay? Next week, I'm going to open the Bible and exposit a passage. This week, this is more of a pastoral approach. I want to begin by telling you a story about a woman named Megan Carlson. On the outside, Megan looked like she had it all together. She had a a successful career. She looked like she had the lifestyle that everyone possibly wants. She looked happy. But underneath, Megan was fighting a battle that nobody could see. When she was just 10 years old, her father passed away And after her father passed away, Megan's mother tried to drown the pain in alcohol. And sometime later, Megan's mother passed away. Eventually, her brother and her sister both took their lives. On the outside, Megan looked successful. On the inside, Megan was dealing with all of the trauma that comes from this. And at the same time, Megan was wrestling with her own divorce that she was going through, and her, in, in the depression that followed, her career collapsed. And as you can imagine, any one of these things would be really difficult to deal with. Any one of these things might cause us to wrestle with life and wonder, is God good? Is there any way forward for me? How do I approach this? Any one of these things or any couple of these things might take away hope. For us, when all the things that we were putting our purpose and our plan and our hope in go away, what do we hope in and how do we pursue life? And maybe some of you are in that place right now where you're like, I don't know what I'm living for. All the hope that we had disappears. What do we do? And maybe more importantly, as the church, how do we care for people all around us? are wrestling with these things? What do we do? What answers can we offer? As we finish this series, we're looking at this question, how do you care for people who don't want to live? And what I want to say right at the outset, just from a care perspective, if you know someone who's exhibiting signs that they're maybe going to take their life, you need to act immediately. And I'm going to read these warning signs. These are like right out of the... BlairCountySuicidePrevention.org website. If you know people who are exhibiting these signs, talking about suicide and wanting to die, talking about feeling worthless, hopeless, or having no reason to live, talking about being a burden to others, suddenly happier and calmer, especially after a period of sadness, giving away prized possessions, getting affairs in order, making arrangements, increased alcohol or drug use, preoccupation with death acting anxiously or agitated behaving recklessly withdrawing or feeling isolated showing rage or talking about revenge displaying extreme mood swings signs that someone may be considering taking their life here's what we I would just the Blair County Suicide Prevention would say act take it seriously act now Tell the person why you're concerned. Don't be afraid to ask if he or she is suicidal. Do not try to argue someone out of suicide. Encourage the person to seek professional help immediately. If it's a crisis, don't leave them alone. Remove firearms, medications, other objects that may be used in an attempt. Take the person to the emergency room or call 911. And finally, encourage and support them after the crisis. Now let me just say, Most of us in this room are probably not trained in how to help somebody walk out of a crisis situation. Some of us probably are, but most of us are not. Most of us don't have the tools necessary, but there is something that I think we have to offer. I do think as the Church of Jesus Christ, we do have something to offer, and I want to look at that last uh, one on that list today. Specifically, encouragement and support. And not just after a crisis, but before a crisis and during a crisis. How do we offer encouragement and support? And so what I want to talk about today is the church of Jesus Christ as a hope-filled healing community. That we could be a hope-filled healing community. So I want to pray. And then we're going to sort of look at what this means to be a hope-filled healing community. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I'm so aware of my inability to even know how to do all of this. I'm so aware of my own need, Lord, for you. That you... Are the one who gives life. And so God, I pray that you would take the words that I speak, Lord, that you would make them into your words, that you would mold them in my mouth, that what would come out would be life-giving, that it would be hope-filled, that it would be helpful and effective. God, I pray for everyone in this room and everyone who's watching at home, who's wrestling with thoughts about life and death, purposelessness, hopelessness, God, would you speak life to these folks today? Come and have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you know the name Rick Warren? There's no Rick Warren? Wrote The Purpose-Driven Life, The Purpose-Driven Church. I don't know, he would probably write the purpose-driven drive through if he was a McDonald's purveyor. Um, purpose-driven everything. But Rick Warren in 2013, uh, Rick and his wife Kay lost their son Matthew to suicide. And what came out of the greatest tragedy of their lives was this desire to see people who are wrestling with mental health welcomed and embraced in the church. And one of the things that they pointed to that we must do as the church in order to be a hope-filled healing community is that we need to be people who remove the stigma of mental health issues. That the church actually needs to be a place that people can feel free to talk about their mental health issues. Now, this really shouldn't be surprising for us, right? The church knows about the ways that sin has messed up the world, don't we? Aren't we really aware? We don't even have to look outside this building, right? I can look at myself over the last week and recognize there are places I shot my mouth off, and I wish I could have got those words back, right? And probably every one of you can do the same thing, right? You can look at your own week and go, man, sin has made a mess. And we're people who recognize that that. Illness, physical illness, is not part of God's good creation. That God didn't say, let me make man, woman, and sickness. That sickness is an invasion into God's good creation. And that it's a thing that God intends to destroy and to get rid of that we would be whole. And yet somehow, when it comes to mental health, we sort of have this weird thing about it. We're not really sure how to deal with that. What do we do with mental health? And so it comes with all this stigma, even though statistics say 20% of you this year will wrestle with mental health. The statistics, speaking's really hard. The statistics say that in America, 20% of the population will wrestle with mental health every single year. That's one in five. So it's a very pervasive problem, and yet in the church, often when people begin to to bring the courage to open up about their own mental health issues, they get met with things like, well, you're just, it's just weakness. You're just weak. You just need to be stronger. Just give it to God. You know, yeah, I understand you're having mental stuff, but God is just testing your faith. And should we pray about mental health? Yeah, absolutely. Can God grow your faith through mental health issues? Absolutely. But what's essential is that when people engage the courage necessary to share about their mental health struggles, what they find is a community that's not surprised. Can we be a community that's not surprised when sin has its way in the world? When brokenness shows up, nobody ever looks at a cancer patient and say, well, you know, you're just weak. Right? I mean, you laugh because nobody would say that. And yet we look at people who struggle with mental health and we say, well, you just need to toughen up a little bit. You know, put on a happy face. We shouldn't be people that that create this stigma about mental health. Because we're people who are very aware of the way that sin has marred the goodness of God's creation. We understand this, not only from our own lives, but we look around the world. So many people in in an earthquake or on the other side of the world are dead. It's not God's plan. We understand that sin is, is, is pervasive. It goes everywhere and it messes everything up. But here's the thing, when it comes to mental health, it's not something we have to go far to find. You can actually find it in the Bible. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19, says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. How about that? Prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. This is Elijah. He's a big deal. Job 3, look at this. Job, our our good buddy Job. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Can you relate? Inside your own life, your day-to-day, I have no rest, only turmoil. I think a lot of us can. Or how about this? Jeremiah, the good prophet Jeremiah, chapter 20. He says, cursed be the day I was born, May the day my mother bore me not be blessed, cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as a grave, her womb enlarged forever. Verse 18, why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days? in shame. These are people we think of as heroes. And yet, in their very own words, they're wrestling with their own life. We don't have to look far in the church to find people who wrestle with mental illness, and yet, for these people, it doesn't cast a shadow over their lives. So why is it in the church when somebody struggles with mental health We allow it to cast a shadow over their lives. And we sort of look at them like they're the hard ones. I'm not really sure what to do with you. See, we need to be a safe place for people to open up about the mental illness they struggle with in the same way that we want to be a safe place for people to come and open up about physical illness. And to come with any ways that people have been affected by the sinfulness of the world and the brokenness of the world, we need to be a place where we welcome people so that they can find wholeness. You see, we can pray for the healing of mental illness while preserving the God-given dignity of everyone who struggles with it. We don't have to gloss it over or pretend like it's not real. And the impact of being willing to talk about it within the church has the effect of creating a safe, Environment where people who struggle with mental illness can feel safe enough to share the struggle that they feel. We need to be a safe place. Because here's the thing, and you guys know this one, the lie the enemy tells us is you're the only one. Right? Isn't that the lie you hear? Every time you think about the brokenness in your own life and the ways that your own life has been twisted and doesn't look like Jesus... And the enemy comes along and says, you're the only one. And if anybody else knows, they're going to reject you. God help us if we would be the place where that was true. I don't know what we would be, think we would be doing here if we weren't the kind of place where people could open up about the struggles that they have and still be loved. I said it a couple weeks ago. I think one of the most important things that we have to offer in the world is a place of guaranteed love. Everybody who comes to God comes with a guarantee that God is going to love them. Can we be that kind of people? Where when someone comes and they open up about the struggles that they have and the the weaknesses, if we call it that, or the brokenness in their lives, and they, they come and they open it up to us, could we be the kind of place where people know that love is guaranteed? Because I think that's what changes everything. So, how do we do that? Here's some very practical stuff. First of all, we have to begin with the understanding that we can't fix anyone. Do you know that? You can't fix anyone. So much of the damage that we do as the church comes because we have our own anxieties and we project them on other people and we can't stand it that you don't feel okay and that you're not okay. And so I have to fix you for myself. Have you seen this? Have you done this? Some of you are like, that feels like a trick question. (laughs) Love is guaranteed. You should just know. Love is guaranteed. Okay? Okay. But we do this, don't we? We get really, really anxious when somebody comes in and they're like, I don't know why I'm living anymore and I don't know what I'm living for. And all of us know inside of our bones that Jesus offers life to be a follower of Jesus means that I should have life and we can't stand it that you're here but you don't feel that way and so we gotta fix you. I gotta make you okay so that I can be okay when I go home. And let me just say that whatever you offer in this moment, by way of trying to fix someone, at best is unhelpful. At best it's unhelpful. I've shared this story before, but I think it bears repeating. In between our two kids, we lost a kid. And when we went to the hospital for the procedure, it was, we were, uh, Jerry was 18, 18 weeks along. We went to the pr- for the procedure, which is just awful. Feeling all the things, praying as followers of Jesus because we believe that God can heal and resurrect the dead. And so, praying that God would bring this baby back to life. And finally, deciding that it's not going to happen. And going to the hospital and somebody saying, Well, maybe it's better this way. Unhelpful at best and painful. At worst, what was the problem? She couldn't stand the fact that we were not okay. She needed to fix it for us. We didn't need people to fix it for us. We needed people to be present with us. You can't fix anyone. That's one of the reasons I think that we have pressed so heavily into this emotionally focused stuff. Because what you need to be is a kind of person who recognizes that I'm projecting my own anxieties into a situation that they're not needed in. Emotionally focused will help you discover the reasons and the ways that you are triggered and that you're bringing your anxiety to bear in a situation and teach you strategies and help you be able to manage your anxiety that you could actually be someone who's just present with people. It's so important, March 3rd and 4th. If you haven't signed up for it, it's still open. I think there were five spots when I looked this morning that are still open. But the reason it's important is because if you can't manage your own anxiety, then you have to feel like you have to fix the problem. But it's, see, that's God's job. And when we start doing the things that are God's job, everything gets twisted. We actually need to be people who can be present and sit with somebody who's struggling without feeling a need to fix them. And here's why that's important. When you don't feel the need to fix them and you take your hands off and you're just present, God comes in to heal them. I don't want what I can do, I want what God can do. Don't you? For all the people in your life who you know who are struggling with mental illness, don't you want God to do the thing that God can do? Wouldn't it be terrible if it was just a little bit of kind words or thoughtful things that you could put on a Hallmark card that made them feel better for a minute, but didn't actually change the things that are deep inside? Wouldn't that be a tragedy? If we just wandered around spitting out little nuggets of advice and people felt better for a second, but nothing inside ever changed. Don't we want what God can do, not what we can do? Being someone who doesn't feel the anxious pressure to do God's business actually creates the environment where the church can be a healing place. It creates an environment where we can take people in and welcome them and care for them and guarantee them love so that they can soak long enough in the presence of God for God to do the things that He does. We're supposed to be a healing environment, friends. Do you know that? Sometimes what it looks like for us to be a healing environment looks like helping someone in crisis make the right choice to go get help. But most often what it looks like is being a kind and welcoming presence to someone who's struggling and wrestling with belonging and hope and purpose and value. You know, that's what it looks like most of the time. It actually looks like just welcoming people and quite honestly they are many of us in this room that are struggling with those things at any given time, right? If you look back even just at your last year, or certainly over COVID, how many of you were wrestling with all of those things at some point, right? You don't have to put your hands up. This is why life groups are so important. I've talked about this before. The larger this room gets, I've had so many conversations, even in the last week, The larger this room gets, the harder it is for you to look around and know the people in the room. Do you know that? Like if you turn around and I mean looked at all the people, you would start to realize there's lots of people increasingly that I don't know. And so the best you sort of can have in this room is a very surface level, I recognize you, you're the person that sits over there, right? Which is not exactly the stuff of deep level healing community. Am I right? You can sit in lots of places with people you don't know, and you can go to the Micheler and watch all kinds of stuff, and you don't walk away and say, that was a really healing community. I mean, have laughed a little bit, right? This cannot take a substitute for the smaller places where you actually live life with people. That's the point of life group. Yes, we have a discipleship purpose, but on the way to discipleship, what happens is community forms. You actually get relationship with people who can know you, who can welcome you, who can love you, who can pray for you. And that's where real Christian community gets lived out. When Jerry and I lived in Columbus, some of you don't know, we moved from Columbus, Ohio. When we lived in Columbus, Ohio, we were very reluctant to get in a life group, probably like many of you. I don't know. We're going to go to this person's house that we don't know sit around in somebody's living room that we don't recognize with a whole bunch of people that we've never met and eat somebody's food that we may or may not trust, right? (laughs) I just named the concern for half of you, didn't I? (laughs) Like, I don't know if they wash their hands. I just, uh, and you're supposed to like, uh, we're going to study, the. I can study the Bible on my own. I don't need people to do that, right? Like So we... We pushed it off for a long time. We really wrestled with this idea, and it was right around the corner from our house. We were driving 30 minutes to go to church, and our life group met like three minutes from our house. So we pushed it off for a really, really, really long time, and honestly, even when we finally went, I was like, these people are weird. (laughs) Like, they're just weird, and they're not people I would choose necessarily, But we stuck it out. And do you know what I discovered? I discovered friends. I discovered people who wanted to know me, who would pray for me. I discovered people who I wanted to know deeper. We discovered babysitters. Those of you who have little kids, you wish you had a date night. If it's not a parents' night out month, you need friends. You need people who are going to do this kind of thing for you. But we also discovered counselors, people who were further along and could look at our stage of life and say, you know what, I would have done there is this. We discovered co laborers. We worked together in the kingdom. We discovered people who coached us along. We discovered people who walked with us in the deepest hurts of our lives the deepest losses of our lives, who just prayed for us and cared for us. We discovered relationships, but not like your, co- your, your, your coworkers or your school friends. We discovered this deep thing that the church is supposed to offer, which is loving relationship. And what I can tell you for sure, we left there Almost nine years ago, we moved here April Fool's Day, 2014. So about now, nine years ago, I had trained up two couples to lead the group that we had led for so many years. And we commissioned these people to lead that group and to care for the people that were part of the group. And then they blessed us and sent us here nine years ago. What I can tell you right now is I could call any one of those people right now and they would help me in whatever capacity they could. I haven't seen most of them in years, but I guarantee you I could call them right now. Maybe we should try it. (laughs) No, let's not try it. Wouldn't that be terrible? (laughs) Who is this? (laughs) And here's the point. Every one of us when we're wrestling with mental health needs people who love us, who know us, who care for us, who speak truth into our lives, who walk with us, who guarantee us love and welcome. Every one of us needs that. That's why we think life group is so, so, so important. And if you haven't connected, Abby has made it so easy for you. Right on the other side of that wall, there's a wall full of all the life groups. And let me just say, it'll be weird the first time you go. Maybe the first three or four times you go, you'll look at these people and say, I don't think I would choose these people. Maybe you won't. I mean, maybe you'll just natural, just click, It'd be great. But if you'll persist, what I can tell you you find is the thing that I think the Bible tells us we're supposed to find. In Christian community takes a while takes a brave person right you go through for a really long time and you're having conversations about where you work and what your favorite food is where you go to play golf right all those things and then at some point somebody says I want to be brave and open up about something that I'm wrestling with that's the moment right now we know something about each other and we can care for each other at a deep level Don't we all need that? On the days when you're struggling with mental health, isn't that what you need? You need somebody who's going to care and help you carry this. But we're not just intended to be a healing community. The church is designed to offer people hope. We're supposed to be a hope-filled healing community. What is the hope that we offer? If you really want to dig into a book that has influenced my thinking on this topic, I'll recommend a book. It's by N.T. Wright. It's a book called Surprised by Hope. The subtitle of the book is uh, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. And what Wright points out is that we've created a picture in the West of Christian hope that looks more like Greek philosophy than it does the New Testament. What we've tended to believe that the hope of the Bible, the uh, hope of Christianity is, is that if we believe in Jesus, We will be forgiven of our sins. And when we die, we get to float off to heaven someplace and spend eternity on a cloud playing a harp, right? Is that the picture that a lot of you have heard? Or did I make that one up? And this is the hope that a lot of people would say, well, that's the Christian hope. The Christian hope is that you die, you get to go to heaven. And the problem with that is is if you're somebody who's struggling with life and life looks really bleak and really hopeless, And there's no purpose, and I've done all the things I wanted to do. Life just dragging on. How long I got to put up with this? Doesn't it seem like a great option to take your own life and go be where it's so much better? But it's built on a wrong picture of what the Christian hope actually is. N.T. Wright says this. He says the Christian hope is new creation. That all the wrong things will be made right. All the brokenness will be made whole. This is what it says in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people. Pay attention to that. It's not about us going up to heaven. It's about heaven coming here. That God will come again and dwell among his people. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It's important to pay attention to the directional nature of this passage. Because what we've been sold often in the church is that the hope of Christianity is that you'll get to blast off from this wretched place, watch it burn from afar, and we'll be in some much better place. But the Christian hope all through the New Testament, is that one day God will make everything new. That one day all this suffering I've gone through will be made whole. It's not to blast off from some place, it's to make all things new again. That the things that have been marred by sin will be restored. That the way that the creation initially got broken will be made right. Right? Incidentally, this gives you a purpose as a follower of Jesus that has an everyday implication. For all who have received the grace of God in Jesus, who have said, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus, you now become part of this kingdom-making plan. You become a co-laborer with God in making all things new again. And this is really important. What it means is that every single day of your life, Everything you do in service of the kingdom has significance. Every single act matters. And what that means, no matter where you are in your life, whether you're old or young, healthy or dying, employed or retired, every single day is a gift to continue to engage in the work of the kingdom that will become fully here when Jesus returns. Every time you pray for someone, it matters. Even when you feel like nothing's happening and they look at you like you're weird, every time you show kindness to someone it matters. Every time you extend the welcome of the kingdom to someone it matters. Every time you pursue justice on behalf of those who don't experience, it matters. Every time you take time to help people get free from the demons that grip their lives, it matters. Every time Every time you welcome a stranger, it matters. Every time you take the time to listen to and validate the humanity of a person struggling with mental illness, it matters. Because this is the people that we are. We're kingdom people. Nothing you do on behalf of the kingdom of God gets lost. It all matters. And there never comes a day when you retire from kingdom service. You may retire from paid ministry, sure, but you never retire from being a servant of your King Jesus. There's never a day that doesn't matter. This is the Christian hope. And when that day comes where Jesus takes you home, where where your life ends and Jesus welcomes you into rest, you rest with him until he brings you back for the fulfillment of the kingdom. This is the Christian hope. If you don't understand this, what you'll miss is that you'll you'll think it's an escapist thing. It's not an escapist thing. We're kingdom people. It's the way it works. And it's compelling. I began this message telling you the story of Megan Carlson. A story that really looks like tragedy, doesn't it? When her life fell apart and her career fell apart, what she did was she went to create a new career in a different industry. And one of her coworkers in her new industry said, you should come to church with me. And they extended an invitation to her. And when she showed up in church, what she discovered is that God's all-encompassing love and welcome and comfort was there for her. When she walked into a body of people who extended the love of God, she found what her life was missing. Incidentally, she ended up marrying that coworker, <laughs> and she serves to help women discover life and purpose in Jesus. What could have begun, or it could have ended as a tragedy, became hope. Friends, the church is designed to be a hope-filled, healing community. Do you believe that? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.